0: The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at ShadesValley.org. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Last week, Brad began his sermon by quoting one of his favorite theologians, Don Draper. So I thought that I would one-up him by being more relevant and quoting from one of my favorite theologians, Captain Jack Sparrow, circa 2001. Multiple times throughout the movie Pirates of the Caribbean, the infamous pirate quips, take what you can, give nothing back. It's actually, it's actually not a line that he ever says by himself. It's, a, it's always something that's shared, it's an exchange between two characters it's almost like a call and response liturgy with the leader saying take what you can and the reply is give nothing back it's like this mantra of the pirate's way of life because for the pirates in the film they believe that this is the path that will lead them to the success and the happiness that they seek take all that you can give nothing back until you're able to amass the wealth and riches you need to retire on fiji perfect happiness and life forever. My question is, this being the mantra of these pirates, is it not the mantra of our culture and our lives as well? Do we not believe the same thing that they do? Is our... Is our culture not full of mantras that sound virtually the same? We say things like, it's a dog-eat-dog world, or it's survival of the fittest, only the strong survive. We call our lives a, a rat race, as if there's just this one piece of cheese and you've got to climb and claw your way over everybody else to, to get it. If you want it, you got to get out there and take it. All of our mantras sound a lot like, take what you can, give nothing back. That's our culture's liturgy. Because we believe that that is the path that leads to happiness and success that we seek. It doesn't matter what category of life we're talking about, whether we're talking about vocational success, whether we're talking about economic prosperity, whether we're talking about political power or whatever, do we not believe that the path to success and the achievement of our happiness and goals is total domination? That's the way to get what you want. I was recently talking with a friend who started his own business and he was conveying to me that this was the kind of messaging he was receiving from other business owners. That if he wanted to be successful in business, then he had to be cutthroat, aggressive. He had to dominate, take what you can. Give nothing back. This is the mantra vocationally. This is our mantra politically, is it not? Is this not everyone's political strategy? My candidate my party must win at all costs, even if that costs me my honesty and integrity. Because I'm unwilling to ever critique my own party, that could risk whether or not they actually achieve their goals. I'm unwilling to critique my party or, their, or, or its platform or its candidate. No, I must support total domination because that's the path to get what I want. We've got to take what we can, give nothing back. That's the liturgical call and response that reverberates throughout our culture and it has shaped. This is what liturgy does. Liturgy shapes us. And this type of liturgy has shaped our hearts to believe truly joyful are those who dominate. For they will get everything they want in this world. They'll be the kings of the kingdom. However shades... Over the last few weeks in Matthew chapter 5, we see that the true king of this world has come, and his kingdom flips everything our culture claims on its head. The true king, Christ. This morning we see him say, Not truly are joyful, truly joyful are those who dominate, for they'll get everything they want. No, we see him say, Truly joyful are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Do we believe that? Do we live like that? This morning, Jesus invites us into that. Read with me Matthew 5 and verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is the third of what we call the Beatitudes. We're taking them one at a time as we begin this series on the Sermon on the Mount. So we've done, Blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who mourn, and here we arrive, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's eight Beatitudes in all, kind of nine. We'll talk about that a little bit more, and I'll keep reminding you of that. But Jesus uses eight Beatitudes to begin the Sermon on the Mount. And what we've seen is that these Beatitudes serve as an invitation. I told you just a second ago, Jesus is inviting us into a way of life. These Beatitudes serve as an invitation into the abundant life of true joy that this sermon is all about. It's what Jesus said he came to bring. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly full to the max, the way it was created to be, and that is only life that is found in him, and here he is inviting us into it. Each, we can see that because each Beatitude begins with the word, Blessed, or the Greek behind it, as we've talked about, is Makarios, and it would be much better translated truly joyful or flourishing. In other words, in these Beatitudes, Jesus is describing what true human flourishing looks like, and He's inviting us into it. He's inviting us into the life of true joy. Through these Beatitudes, King Jesus says, here's what abundant life of true joy in the kingdom looks like and it doesn't look like anything we would expect for jesus says look at verse three truly joyful are the poor in spirit and we saw a couple of weeks ago that phrase has an old testament background It describes those who lived in the midst of wicked kingdoms, and if they were going to give wholehearted devotion to God, they would likely be economically oppressed. They would end up poor and have nothing left to depend on but God. This phrase, poor in spirit, it describes those who give wholehearted devotion to the Lord, no matter what that means, comes their way, even if it leads them to suffer and to mourn. Which is why Jesus says in the second beatitude in verse 4, truly joyful are those who mourn those who cling to christ even when it causes suffering i know that's what all of this means because of verse 11 i told you there were eight beatitudes kind of nine verse 11 is the one that's kind of the ninth beatitude i say it's kind of the ninth because it's really just an expansion on beatitude number eight It's an expansion on that. And what we learned a couple of weeks ago is that when ancient lists have kind of this bonus repeated refrain at the end that takes the last element of the list and expands it, continues it on, what it's doing is it's basically emphasizing the main theme. In other words, verse 11 casts a shadow back over the entire list of Beatitudes, influencing the way that we interpret them. And what does verse 11 say? Truly joyful are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In other words, Jesus says, when you believe that true abundant life of joy is found in me and you attach yourself to me, it's what he says right here, this is going to happen on his account. You attach yourself to me, even if it costs you everything, truly joyful will you still be even if you're poor in spirit, because you're depending wholeheartedly on me even if you lose everything. You get the king. You get the kingdom. Truly joyful are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So true joy is is theirs, even if they suffer and mourn in this life. Truly joyful are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. They get the comfort of the, the king. And now... As we arrive at verse 5, we see how these people who are pursuing true, the true life of abundant joy in Jesus, we see how they are empowered to respond. Even though they're poor in spirit, they could lose everything, even though they end up suffering and mourning, even though all of those things, we see how they're empowered to respond. They respond with meekness. Look at verse 5. Truly joyful are the meek. Okay, I did all of that review to lead up to this point, because what I hope you're beginning to see is the logical flow of the Beatitudes. Truly joyful are the poor in spirit, those who depend wholeheartedly on Jesus, even if it costs them everything and leads them to suffer and mourn, they are empowered to respond in meekness. Do you see that logical flow? If you latch on to Jesus, wholehearted devotion to him, even if it makes you lose everything, it could lead you into mourning and suffering, but you will still be empowered to respond in meekness. That's the logical flow of the Beatitudes that's brought us to this, respond, to this response this morning of responding with meekness. What does that even mean? Meek is not a word that we commonly use. Like, what, what does it mean for Jesus' followers to be, to respond to mistreatment in in meekness? And how are Jesus's followers empowered to respond this way to the suffering, the mourning, the being wrong that we talked about that they will encounter? Those two questions, those are the two questions that I want us to spend the rest of our time unpacking this morning. What does meekness mean and how is meekness empowered? Got the plan for where we're going. What does meekness mean and how is meekness empowered? So first, what does meekness mean? I actually tipped my hand just a few minutes ago at the beginning of our time together. I was talking about the liturgies of our culture that train our hearts to believe true joy has got to be seized, taken by dominance. I've got to dominate, take what I can, give nothing back. I contrasted that with Jesus who says, truly joyful are the gentle. Tipped my hand. Showed you that I, what I believe meekness means. Meekness is gentleness. It's the best word I could give you to define it. Meekness is gentleness. Why don't we just translate it gentleness? Because of translation tradition. It's more traditional to say blessed are the meek. It would be better translated blessed are or truly joyful are the gentle. The Greek word right here for gentleness is praous. Praous. And I tell you that that's the Greek word behind it because Matthew in his gospel only uses that word two other times where it clearly means gentleness. You can write these down and look at them later. He uses it later in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. Jesus is speaking and he describes himself. And he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle." and lowly of heart, gentle and lowly. Jesus right here is contrasting himself with people like the scribes and the Pharisees who are forceful and harsh with their teaching, and he's saying, no, I'm meek, I'm gentle, gentle with sinners and with sufferers. Again, this word is used another time in Matthew's gospel, later on, Matthew 21 and verse 5, where we read this, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, that's our word, humble, gentle, and mounted on a donkey. You may recognize that as a prophecy out of Zechariah. Jesus is fulfilling this as he enters into Jerusalem for his final week, riding on not a war horse, but on a donkey. Donkey was an animal that kings rode during times of peace. They rode horses during times of war, donkeys during times of peace. And this is King Jesus coming to conquer and to establish His kingdom. But He doesn't come to establish it by force. He's not on a horse. He's not coming to establish it by force or or by the blood of war. No, He comes humbly, gently to establish His kingdom by His own blood through sacrifice. He is a meek king a gentle king meekness is gentleness matthew 5 and verse 5 truly joyful are the gentle not those who believe that true joy is something that has to be seized Truly joyful are those who even when they suffer and even when they are seized, even when they are made to mourn, they respond with gentleness. This is the response of the people of God who are poor in spirit, depending upon God no matter what it costs, even when that leads them into suffering situations and they mourn, they respond with gentleness gentleness towards God and gentleness towards others what does that mean we don't often think of responding with gentleness towards God Have you ever seen the uh the movie I don't know why I'm into referencing old movies this morning this one's not even in my notes do you ever see the 90s movie mighty ducks there's this scene where the coach is trying to teach the the players how to pass the puck gently and he has them do it with an egg which means you not only have to send it gently you have to receive gently This is the idea of gentleness towards God. It's not something we are showing towards God. It's how we are receiving things from God. God's people respond with gentleness towards God. We see that in the Old Testament background of this beatitude. If you want to go look at it later, Psalm 37 and verse 11 literally says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Sounds a heck of a lot like truly joyful are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is where Jesus is drawing from. And if you go back and you read all of Psalm 37, what you will find there is the people of God in a suffering situation where it looks like the wicked are winning. Their their land is in the hands of those who take what they can and give nothing back. But God calls His people in Psalm 37 not to respond in kind. Not to respond to the dominance of the evil with their own dominance. No, he calls them to trust him, to patiently wait on him. This is meekness. This is gentleness towards God. It is gently receiving his providential plan in a way that displays trust. Do you get that? Meekness in our relationship towards God or gentleness towards God is gently receiving his providential plan in a way that displays trust. It's it's Joseph being sold into slavery in the Old Testament, falsely being accused and thrown into prison, yet all throughout his life, trusting that God is with him, trusting that God knows what he's doing, and submitting submitting every step of his life to the hand of God. Joseph... doesn't mean he never wrestled with these things doesn't mean he never questioned these things but ultimately he submitted all of these things joseph gently received god's providential plan in a way that displayed trust that's what meekness towards god is it's not sarah The wife of Abraham, doubting that God would provide the child that he promised. So she took matters into her own hands by having Abraham take a second wife, Hagar, and have a son with him. Sarah tried to force her own plan in a way that displayed she did not trust the providence of God. That's not what meekness is. Shades, are we a people that respond toward God with gentleness? meekness does does the way we respond to god's providential plan display that we trust him i'm not saying you never wrestle i'm not saying you never question i'm saying that ultimately we're like jacob in his wrestling match with god we're beaten and we walk with a limp that reminds us that we are to trust the one who wrestled us to the ground Does the way we respond to God's providential plan display that we trust Him? Or does it display that we only trust ourselves? Shades. God has us providentially living in the midst of a pandemic. He's got us living amidst times of political polarization and division, amidst times of economic uncertainty, and amidst times of no small failure and fracturing within the global church. Does the way we respond to these things display that we still trust our God? Do we respond in meekness? And not just towards God, but towards others. Do we respond to one another with gentleness? When the sin of others frustrates you to no end, do we respond like Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's a variation of our word, pros, Meekness. We respond to the sin of others that way? Or how about when we're correcting our opponents? Do we respond with gentleness then? Like 2 Timothy 2.25 says, the Lord's servant must correct his opponent's with gentleness, still our word, praus, meekness. Quote that one to yourself next time you're about to post a comment on social media. The Lord's servant must correct his opponents with gentleness, meekness. I tell you to quote that one when you post on social media because meekness is supposed to characterize our public witness. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks of you for any reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness. It's our word, praus. do it with gentleness and respect. We are to be a people of gentleness. Please, please don't misunderstand me, Shades. Being a people, when I'm saying we, we are to be a people of gentleness, that does not mean that we are a people who do not respond. Well, we just got to be gentle, passive. A lot of people mistake gentleness for weakness, meekness for weakness. It's not. Gentleness is not responding. Gentleness is not in action. It is a type of action. It is a response. And it is the action that we are to take. It is the action that responds in obedience to God's Word no matter the cost. That's what gentleness is. You get that. It's the action that responds bonds in obedience to God's Word no matter the cost, even if that cost is a cross. First Peter 2.23 shows us that this was the action of Jesus. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. That's not inaction. That is the gentle action of Jesus towards God and towards others. This is Jesus responding to all the reviling, all of the suffering, by continuing to trust his Father's word every step of the way to the cross. And we, shades, have been called to take up our cross and follow after him, to take the gentle action of meekness, even if it costs us everything and at this point somebody somewhere is thinking in their head going yeah but jonathan doesn't jesus sometimes like pick up a whip and like chase you know money changers out of the temple how are you going to say that that's gentleness doesn't he speak to the pharisees at the end of matthew matthew chapter 23 with seven woes that are some of the most critical statements in all of scripture yes he does but let me say two things one be very careful of using the messianic actions of the messiah to justify anything that we do and two, every time Jesus does that, it is in a prophetic action that is still calling people to repentance. Go read the woes at the end of Matthew 23. And read where Jesus ends that speech. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long? I've longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers its chicks under its wings, but you were not willing. That is an image of gentleness. We've been called to take up our cross and follow after the gentle Jesus to take the action of meekness even if it costs us everything. Even if it costs us our job because we're not willing to compromise our ethics. Even if it costs us our credibility with our own political party because the word of our king leads us to critique the GOP and the DNC. Even even if this means following the Word of Jesus no matter the cost, even if this means that I am mislabeled, maligned, misunderstood, I'm still to respond in gentleness that follows the Word of God no matter what anybody else thinks or what anybody else says. Can I, can I just get real with you for just a second, Shades? I'm watching this happen to pastor friends of mine all around me. This this being mislabeled, maligned, and misunderstood because they refuse to tow any political party line except for the line of the kingdom of God. Pastors... I'm watching pastors who will not compromise the truth concerning God's word about human sexuality and gender and and the sanctity of human life. I'm watching them be labeled as crazy, conservative, right-wingers who must be homophobic and filled with hate. At, At the same time, these same pastors are not willing to compromise the truth of God's Word about injustice and racism, love for the sojourner, care for creation, so they're being labeled as woke left-wing liberals who've ditched, biblical, who've ditched the Bible for secular theory? Shades, I've been labeled all those things. I've been called crazy right-wing conservative and a woke left-wing liberal. I don't know how that happens. If I'm honest, I feel mislabeled, maligned, and misunderstood. And I, if I'm honest, here's the nasty, gut, black, sin, wretchedness of my heart. If I'm honest, I want to respond to reviling with reviling. But God has called me called all of us to respond first to him in meekness by continuing in obedience to his word no matter the cost. Shades, as your pastor, I am committed to obedience to this word no matter if it means I'm maligned, mislabeled, or misunderstood on either side of the eye. God has called me. He has called all of us to respond to Him in meekness, to receive providentially from His hand His plan in a way that shows we still trust Him. And He's called us to respond in meekness to others, to the maligners, the mislabelers, the misunderstanders. We're to respond to those exact people in gentleness. How are we going to do that? God's got to provide the power. God has to provide the power. Shades. The meekness that we're talking about this morning, it is a supernatural gentleness. We're not talking about people who have like a naturally gentle or soft-spoken disposition. No, we are talking about the supernatural response to suffering and mourning that keeps clinging to Christ and showing his love to others, even to those who are causing the suffering and mourning. Galatians 5.22 bears witness to this supernatural gentleness. Calls it a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know this? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. It's our word, praus, self-control. The Holy Spirit of God empowers this gentleness, this meekness. How? That takes us to question number two. How is meekness empowered? We've seen what meekness is, what, what that word means. Second question, how is meekness empowered? Look one more time with me at Matthew chapter five and verse five. Truly joyful are the gentle for. Grounding clause. Here's what's empowering the first half of that verse. For they shall inherit the earth that's how our gentleness is empowered by that promise right there all of the beatitudes have empowering promises all of them and the promises are not random they, they are organically related to the beatitude you can see this if you just go down the list the poor in spirit are truly joyful because they're not truly poor Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See how the promise is related to the beatitude? Or those who mourn are truly joyful? Because they'll be comforted with the ultimate comfort of Christ. See how the promise is related to the beatitude? And you just go down the list. The hungry and thirsty because they will be satisfied. The merciful because they will receive mercy. And on and on and on. The promises are a perfect fit with each beatitude. It's like a hand in a glove. So that leads us to our beatitude asking, how does inheriting the earth fit with empowering meekness? Gentleness. It fits because the meek, the gentle you remember back to what we talked about at the beginning are they not the very ones our world believes to be on the losing end they don't get anything they want right they're too meek they're too gentle they're not willing to throw their weight around to to forcefully dominate to achieve their goals the beatitude that our world believes is truly joyful are those who dominate because they'll get everything they want vocationally, politically, economically. Take what you can, give nothing back. A true life of joy has got to be seized. But if we believe Jesus' promise, then it is the meek, the gentle, who end up on the receiving end of everything. They will inherit the earth. That's literal shades. That's a literal promise because we believe that through the death and resurrection of jesus god is at work redeeming all things and one day christ will return to bring that redemption to completion in new creation and we get the whole thing the earth as it was created to be revelation 22 and verse 5 promises that god's people would literally reign with him in new creation forever and ever shaped This is what empowers meekness, gentleness, right now. Because this is true right now. The earth is yours right now. Yes, I know, some of you may be thinking, that promise, Jonathan, in Matthew 5.5, that's in the future tense. They shall inherit the earth. You just talked about it being fulfilled. When Christ comes again, brings redemption to completion, then we inherit the earth. If you look at all of the promises connected to Beatitudes number two through number seven, they are all in the future tense. That is true. But they are sandwiched between Beatitudes number one and number eight. Stay with me. Beatitudes two through seven promises all future tense. Sandwiched between Beatitudes, verse one, excuse me, Beatitudes number one and number eight. Look at those present tense promises with me of Beatitudes one and eight. Verse three. Truly joyful are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, present tense, is the kingdom of heaven. Go to Beatitude number 8 in verse 10. Truly joyful are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is, present tense, is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, at the beginning and the end of this Beatitude list, Jesus makes sure that something is very clear. If you belong to King Jesus, then his kingdom is yours right now. That is the present tense promise at the beginning and the end of the Beatitudes. And all of the promises in between, they are all future tense because they will come in final fullness when that kingdom finally and fully comes. These promises show us the truth that we so often stress here at Shades. That Christ's kingdom is an already not yet kingdom. There is a sense in which it is all already ours, but we do not yet fully possess or experience it in full. Shades, you are already a citizen of the kingdom of God. The king is already present in your life. And all of the promises of the kingdom are guaranteed already yours, even though they are not yet fully and finally fulfilled. In other words... The meek shall inherit the earth. No, that promise is not yet finally fulfilled, but it is already guaranteed yours. And that's what empowers us to be meek, to be gentle. Do you see how this works? When, When I believe that the earth is mine, I don't have to dominate to try and get it. It's already mine. When I believe that I will inherit the earth, then no political party gets my ultimate allegiance except the king who I know wins in the end. When I believe that the world is mine, then true joy is not something I have to seize. In fact, even when I suffer, even when I am seized, even when I am made to mourn, I am empowered to respond in meekness and gentleness because I know I haven't truly lost what is already mine. Let me try and put a picture on this for you. So, uh, so last week, my Atlanta Braves won the World Series. Y'all knew I was going to talk about it, right? At some point, I mean, come on, y'all. They're like, you know, that's my, my A right there, okay? So my Braves won the World Series for the first time in 26 years. I was 12 the last time they won. And on the night they won, I had some diehard Atlanta fans over to my house. We're all watching the the game, and we were so stinking nervous. I mean, we're just, just sweating through every pitch because it's an Atlanta sports team competing in a championship. And if you don't know that history, it's a history of a lot of heartbreak. It doesn't end well. We're nervous the whole time. We're all on edge. All but one of us. Scott Ledbetter seemed rather calm, cool, collected, especially at the moments that would make the rest of us the most nervous. In fact, suspiciously, in those precise moments, he began predicting precisely what would happen. Oh, I bet he hits a home run here. Huh, would you look at that? Now he's going to get a hit here driving a run. What we realized was that Scott was getting notifications on his phone every time the Braves scored, and those notifications were ahead of my delayed YouTube TV feed. His response to the game was empowered by what he already knew to be true. Shades, our meekness, our gentleness is empowered by what we already know to be true. The earth is ours. Or as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 3.21, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Do we believe that shades? Do we live that? Jesus invites us into that. Truly joyful are the gentle, for they shall inherit.